0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pastor Plex Podcast. As always, I have Chris with me here.
1: I'm ready to roll and ready to answer some really tough questions.
0: All right. So we have several questions um, from last yesterday's, because yeah. today, Monday, is yesterday's <laughs> sermon. Um, I believe we're on Revelation 9?
1: Uh, 8 and 9. 8 right. and 9.
0: Okay. So here, we'll just dive right in. Question number one. How do we pray according to God's will when it may not be clear
1: yeah I, I've talked about this uh, at length uh, about God's will how do you know what God's will is all right so and this this has come specifically to this question there's there's three facets that uh, that allow us to know what God's will is one is God's word so if we're praying for something that's against God's will like praying to be able to uh, uh, marry somebody who's already married. That is against God's will, so don't pray for that. Uh, but if you, but if it's something like it's an alignment with God's will, that's your first step. Second step, or maybe usually for most people, this is the first step, is that it's God's spirit. And the problem that we have most of the time is how do I discern if this is God's spirit or my own spirit? And, you know, this is where in Romans 7, 15, it says, I don't understand what I do, for I want to do, what I do not do, what I hate, I keep on doing, who will save me from this body of death? And so because you have the, the war of the soul raging on between God's spirit and you, and if you haven't spent time in, God, in God's word and prayer uh, a lot, then what happens is you ultimately can't discern his voice. And so what becomes very helpful, especially if you need to make Decision quickly is one. Well, spend more time in prayer. But let's just say that you you have, and you still can't discern if this is God's will or it's or it's you. Then what I would do is. Um Bring yourself to a place where you are able to bring in God's people. So it goes God's word, God's spirit, God's people. And when you bring God's people, they help you discern uh, what God is saying. In fact, I did this recently with uh, a group of people. I have an elder board that I run a lot of decisions by, and I had a really difficult decision to make, and I kind of presented all the options Walk through my own anxiety about it. And then they were able to bring a lot of perspective and really help me come to a great conclusion. So I was really grateful for that. And so it just goes God's Word, God's Spirit, God's people. And you don't find people that will tickle your ears. You find people that will give you the truth. So
0: there you go. So – Rabbit trailing a smidgen mm-hmm. off of that. Yeah. So we're what if we are praying according to God's will, but yeah. we're praying for someone's salvation? And what happens what do we do if God doesn't save them?
1: Yeah, that that's a tough one. And I've prayed that many a time and wondered why God didn't save them. Now remember there is there is two pieces of this. If you're praying for God to save them but you don't ever actually share the gospel with them, that's that could be a because that goes that would be you're you're praying in the spirit and that's good. But you're not aligning with God's word, perhaps, where you're supposed to actually share, you know, preach Christ always. And if you have to use words, well, you have to use words because um, <laughs> salvation comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you've got that Romans 10 perspective. Now, then you, you do have God's people and you are it. So that's the part where I'd say, have you shared the gospel? And then the other part of that is when you're praying for somebody's salvation, um, you don't know what God is doing and who they've interacted with, and especially if it doesn't happen. I remember when I was in Iraq, I shared the gospel with one of my soldiers, and he said no. And I, I've been praying for him and praying for him, and two weeks later, he died in a, in a, in a, in a, when a bomb took him out, and it was really, really, really sad. And people ask me, well, do you think maybe at the last second before his life passed away, he accepted Christ? And I'm like, I don't know. But the last thing I know when I share the gospel with him was that he said no. But that doesn't mean in those moments he can, you know, you cry out to Jesus. It takes a mustard seed of faith. It takes just an itty-bitty-bitty amount of faith to, to save somebody. And so that's where I'm like, who knows? So you don't know uh, if your prayer is hasn't been used to save that person, or if it hasn't, even if you're not seeing it um, in in the aspect of the fruit of their life, you might see it as they pass away. They could say, mm-hmm. Jesus saved me. Who knows? So I, that's where I'm really... This is where it gets so hard, right? Because you're saying, well, I know that person for sure isn't saved. You don't know that. Um, again, now, is it likely? Sure. But God can do right. anything. And so I just really... I I don't want to ever put any dampening on the fire of of praying for people's salvation um, because you just don't know what could happen. And I've seen more times than not the people I've prayed for have come to faith. And now, to be fair, I have been sharing the gospel with them regularly. So I I do feel like it's an important thing, an important aspect of of your faith is to pray specifically for that person and let God activate His will through you. Um, But this could be a place where if that person is is to be saved, then... um, you're not, it's not that you're praying against God's will, mm-hmm. because First uh, Peter 3, 9, uh, God would have it that none would perish, but all he has a desire for all to come to eternal life. So you are praying along God's uh, moral will, but it might not be in his permissive will. And so that's where it gets to be a little challenging. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's how I'd answer that.
0: Okay. Now... Um, For our next question, relating more towards the text that we were in, in Revelation 8 and 9, why specifically seven of everything?
1: Yeah, this is where God loves the number seven. And it's a. I, I this is where I'm like, why is it seven seals and then seven trumpets and then seven, 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 uh, that's, that's a number of perfection. It's an integer that, you know, you can't be reduced. And so, uh, you know, like three is a perfect number. Um, also five is a perfect number, but then, you know, you, for some reason, they don't like five quite as much. Although it was five months of uh, pain thats the, the stinging of the scorpion would, would put you in. But anyway. Seems quite perfect. Yeah. So there you go. So seven is a typical number of completion, a, a number of perfection. Uh, I wish I had a better reason for that. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, there's seven days in a week. Uh, and so there's it's it's a it's sense not of
0: some secret sauce you learn in seminary. Yeah,
1: there is, it, other than God likes that number, and and, <laughs> and that's about it. You know, threes and sevens, he's a big fan of.
0: There we go. Uh, how do we identify the functional saviors in our heart and life and others? Any resources that are helpful?
1: <sighs> okay, so this one is a great question in the sense that how how do we know if what we're pursuing is really a functional savior and not something that could be God ordained. Because the hard thing about functional saviors is they're usually good things. Like your job is a good thing. God may work was something we did before the fall. So it wasn't just, aha, you're now cursed. And so therefore the ground is cursed. And now you have to go work uh, because of your sin. No, no. God called Adam to work before the fall occurred. Okay. So understanding that, um, what what then is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing? And I think that's really a question. Uh, when your desire becomes an ultimate desire, and only thing that's supposed to be an ultimate desire is God.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: if money becomes your ultimate desire, like you know, it becomes the scorecard of your life. I know that I'm doing well because I have more money than I did before than I did yesterday. As Rockefeller, you know, was once quoted, "How much is enough money?" And he was making a comment to the American people of like one dollar more is what everybody wants and once you get that dollar <laughs> then it's always gonna be one dollar yeah, no, 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 no. more Another right one. okay so so then if whatever replaces God so when you're sad I go to food or when you're sad I go to my binge watching a show when you are sad you go to
0: shopping
1: shopping <laughs> video games social media I just want to get lost or immersed in this place to, to kind of cope I need to I need a break I go to what? And I think that's the part where, um, again, are all things like that. If you're doing it as a part of your worship, like I'm, I don't know. This is where, you know, social media isn't all evil. Like it's a great way to keep up with friends and a great way to see people need prayer. But if it's a place where you go to veg your brain, then that might be a place where it's become an idol, where it Mm -hmm. now controls you. You are not using it as a tool. When Mm -hmm. the tool becomes the master, you know that it's an idol. Okay. Well, how do I know? What's a good resource? Uh, There's a great book by uh, Tim Keller. Uh, called Counterfeit Gods, and it is one of those that you will read in a short time, but it's the empty promises of money, sex, and power, and the only hope that matters. And he really does a good job of helping us wrap our head around this thing of we sometimes get to a place where um, our heart is fixated or copes by pursuing the things of the world uh, that Is temporary, and that is not going to ultimately fulfill, but has these false promises that say, once you have me, then you are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so once we can really wrap our head around that, then we'll be okay. So I I think that's a great resource to start.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, last one for this round. It's a long one, so stick with me. Mm -hmm. I believe one of the biggest problems with the pre-tribulation rapture view is the type of Christian who believes in it. In my experience, they are shallow and materialistic and are just cherry-picking the most convenient eschatology. They want to graduate college, find a career, get married, buy a house, and then retire comfortably. The tribulation would be awfully inconvenient to them, so they just pretend it won't happen. What would be your response to this kind of perspective?
1: Yeah, this is one of those questions where you go, this person definitely has an agenda, and I appreciate that you you have a view. Uh, But here's the problem, all right? Here's the problem. There's another one that's another – you know also is cherry picking you could say is um, what about once saved, always saved? Mm-hmm. If you do that, then a person can do whatever – you know, here's, the, here's the argument against it. A person could do whatever they want. It's like if you are in the back of a pickup truck, you should put the, the, um, the tailgate down and drive across a bumpy road at 60 miles an hour and then that person will grow, go get as close as to the cab as possible because they're afraid of falling out. Well, now you've sort of developed a fear mindset uh, to the intimacy with God that you mm-hmm. you never know when you're just like, a, uh, you're gonna be falling. You gotta out. And, fall off. Yeah, so the problem with that that view is it's a wrong view of God, that he's not a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy. That's a, a God who's just looking for you to fall out of the back. And, and I think that's the part of like, if you don't have an understanding of, of God's grace and that you did nothing to earn it, so therefore you do nothing to lose it, it gives you great freedom in running to the cross Cross as opposed to running away from the cross, mm-hmm. if you because what happens, I think, for most people is when they sin, uh, there should be this deep desire to run to Jesus, not away from Him. Uh, but what I feel like the, um, uh, the 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 lose your salvation camp, uh, they are constantly in a state of fear that oh no, and I won't try anything new, I won't try anything hard. I won't risk anything for the gospel because what if I doubt? What if I Mm -hmm. deny Jesus because I'm put in a hard position? uh, And so I wouldn't do anything. I would just stay sheltered and just be as risk averse as possible. And so I think that's sort of the same mindset when it comes to uh, a pre-tribulation rapture. And so if you're not familiar with what pre-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation rapture, the rapture uh, is in... uh, Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 14 through 18 where um, Paul says that the believers are going to be called up to meet Jesus in the air. And so the argument that this person is making is that the reason why that view is bad is because of the kind of Christian it produces. And I think that's sort of silly. And that just means a person needs discipleship. And so I feel like a lot of uh, like um, feel-good Facebook Platitude, Christian platitude people, they would probably jump on that eschatology because it serves their own agenda, just like this person says, but that doesn't make it wrong, uh, mm-hmm. just because you know the speed limit's 85 doesn't necessarily mean that that makes it... That uh, doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I going to go... Disregard? Through. Disregard the speed limit thing. But I, I think just because there is a, a chance that they could uh, take advantage of grace doesn't mean that grace is not a thing. And I think that's mm-hmm. what you're looking at. The reason why I really believe in um, the... The 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 rapture be pre tribulation uh, is it, it really does take care of God's grace um, is not wasted and what I mean by that is the wrath of God is truly satisfied if a person has to go through the wrath of God that's already saved and it's double jeopardy. You're experiencing the wrath of God twice. And so that's why it makes full a lot more sense for if the wrath of God has been satisfied, there's no reason for the wrath of God to be poured out on you. Unless the wrath of God hasn't been satisfied, unless there's a part that's still lacking and needs to be made up for. And I just don't think that that is true. And so that part is why I really believe in the pre-tribulation rapture and that How else can the Holy Spirit be taken out of the world unless all the Christians are taken out of the world uh, Mm -hmm. in a rapture environment, which is why pure evil is allowed to reign on earth during the the seven years. Now, and also that gets to, you know, when we have what point uh, does the forehead marking... Uh, of the tribulation saints of the hundred forty four thousand have, if not, they're not supposed to be witnesses against those who are who are experiencing the wrath of God, and they are not experiencing the wrath of God. As the Egyptians saw, the Israelites weren't taken in by darkness. They saw that their children were not killed. They saw uh, God sparing them and and bringing His wrath upon. Uh, the people of Egypt, and I think that's sort of what needs to happen is that is, is they are given full evidence that God's wrath doesn't affect believers, but it does affect non-believers. But it took experiencing the wrath of God for those 144,000 to turn over to Jesus and uh, become believers. Hopefully, that mm-hmm. makes
0: sense. I believe it does. Now, you did want to talk about a special guest that we're going to yeah, have coming up so, uh, in this, regards to this eschatology. Yeah, thank
1: you. There are different views. Now, listen, I, I'm not a hard, fast, uh, it's either pre-tribulation uh, rapture uh, millennialist. Uh, there are people that are uh, post-tribulation amillennialist and I. Uh, and I'll be bringing on a, a guest such as that, uh, Pastor Holland Gregg, pastor at Eastside Community Church, is going to join me on Thursday. And he and I are going to really rap about uh, the differences in our views and how we can love each other and we can be Christian. And uh, he might even take some this view about the cherry-picking uh, the most convenient eschatology uh, because that, that is a, a criticism. I don't think it's a warranted one, uh, but but it is a criticism. And I, um, we'll get into why we believe and what we believe and be able to articulate it really well so, So I'm really excited about uh, you guys joining us for that. So look forward to uh, roughly Thursday we'll do the podcast and we'll come out soon after.
0: All right. Looking forward to it. As always, thanks for listening. And if you have questions, you know where to find us.